Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. Morning, NFC East fans. We're done, guys. Week one, it's over. Once again, Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports here. I'm excited, guys. Uh, week one was thrilling. We had seven games decided. Eight games. Sorry, eight. We had eight games decided in the final two minutes and overtime for week one. I think that's the most we've had in 20 years. But... Before we get started on all NFC East stuff, I wanted to kind of touch base on that Monday Night Football game last night for those of you who didn't get to see the end of it. Nathaniel Hackett is a moron. Um, I don't understand what he was doing. You have a minute, 10 left on the clock. You're letting it run down to 20 seconds for a fourth down. I didn't understand that. I'm like, what are they doing here? Like, And then all of a sudden... He puts Brandon McManus out to kick a 64-yard field goal when you, you're you literally paying Russell Wilson $249 million to convert fourth and fives for you. And that's his decision you decide to make after you run 40 seconds off the clock? I, I don't understand. I, I, I don't. And, you know, it, it was just a bonehead move. We've seen a couple bonehead decisions by coaches on Sunday. Uh, Matt Labar is going to be my guest today. I'm going to... We're going to talk about that. Um, I know this isn't NFC East related, but that was a crazy ending Monday Night Football game. And Brandon McManus barely missed the 64-yarder. But he didn't have to kick a 64-yarder. He could have kicked a 40-yarder. He could have kicked a 50-yarder. Why give him 64? I I, I, I don't understand. I, I don't get coach thinking anymore. I just don't think that Daniel Hackett has it. I don't. I don't think he can hack it. I don't think that Daniel Hackett can hack it. I don't think that was the right coach for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson got his way out of Seattle, got his way out of Pete Carroll from Nathaniel Hackett. And Pete Carroll, we don't get to say this often, he ran circles around Nathaniel Hackett last night. That was just, I don't understand. I, I really don't. Denver beat themselves in the foot anyway, fumbling twice at the young at the one yard line, having ten goal to go plays and not scoring once. First time that's happened since 1987, by the way. So, I I mean, Hackett's decisions did cost Seattle, but so did fumbles in the in the Reds. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just not sold on some of these coaches, and Daniel Hackett's one of them. I get why he got a job because Matt Lafleur is an actual good coach and. Won a lot of games, and he was the offensive coordinator for Aaron Rodgers, so he's going to get an opportunity. Oh, I want to get this off my chest. I'm defending Eagles fans today on this. Donovan McNabb was the greatest quarterback the Eagles ever had. 
in 2010 when they traded him. I thought maybe, maybe Eagles fans would boo Donovan because he was on a division rival, but he got traded there. McNabb got a standing ovation and a roar from Eagles fans that day. Then they booed him because that makes sense. You do boo the guy during the game. But Eagles fans did the right thing. And the national media was dead wrong. Dead wrong on what was going to happen. Seahawks fans should be ashamed of themselves for what they did to Russell Wilson when he walked on that field. Your only Super Bowl winning quarterback. The guy who made your franchise relevant. The best player your franchise has ever seen. Sorry, Steve Largent. It's Russell Wilson. You boo him? Are you kidding me? Because he wanted out. I don't care if you want it out or not. You show that man some respect. You show Russell Wilson respect. And you applaud him for a decade of excellent play for you. The only reason your franchise was good the last couple years. It wasn't Russell Wilson's fault. Pete Carroll threw the football at the one-yard line in Super Bowl 48. 49. 48. Yeah. 49. 49, I think. Yeah, 49. I'm losing track. That wasn't Russell Wilson's fault. I'm sorry you didn't get the dynasty, but you got one. You got one. One is better than none. Ask the Dallas Cowboys last time they won a Super Bowl. Last time they were relevant. That's what Russell Wilson did for your franchise. Oh, and he was a model citizen, by the way. Still is. Love Seattle. It was time for a change. And you boo him? You boo him. His first game with his new team. His first game back in Seattle. And you boo him. I'm sorry. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. I'm tired of Eagles fans getting this bad rap when you got Cowboys fans throwing stuff at Dak Prescott. You got Seahawks fans booing Russell Wilson. And we all know the major networks ignore it. They do. They ignore it. Because Eagles fans threw snowballs at Santa Claus in 1968 and it's an easy target. It's BS. It really is. Seattle fans should be ashamed of themselves. Really should be ashamed. All right, let's get into some NFC East here. Oh, I, I, I'll tell you what. I said yesterday, I told Tone, I said to Mike Gill, Cowboys are done. They are done. I have no idea what Jerry Jones was thinking of when he built that roster. And how he just blatantly ignored all the holes on this football team. On that Dallas Cowboys football team. Blatantly ignored every single hole he had. Especially a backup quarterback. The Cowboys couldn't bring back Andy Dalton. Ever. So I... Look. It's funny. And Tone's texting me right now. (laughs) So, about the Jimmy... Garoppolo rumors. Could they get him? I'll tell you what. Kyle Shanahan said they'd entertain it. They need to do something. Jimmy Garoppolo is by far the best quarterback on this left. Mason Rudolph ain't the answer. Will Greer certainly is not the answer. Near is Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush won them a game last year, but that Dallas team is talented. This Dallas team is not. They're so beat up on the offensive line. Their receiving situation is a joke. James Washington ain't coming back for another two months. Who knows if Michael Gallup's healthy. 
He'll be back this week. And God will be a big help. But the main concern is, is CeeDee Lamb a number one receiver? He definitely did not look like it Sunday night. Carlton Davis owned him. Absolutely owned him. Carlton Davis is one of the most underrated cornerbacks in football. And he got his chance to lick CeeDee Lamb's chops. Oh, he did. Oh, he did. CeeDee Lamb looked pedestrian. And he's a good football player. But I don't think he was ready for that Amari Cooper role. That A.J. Brown role. I think he will be in time, just not now. It's not like he really could do anything anyway, because Dak Prescott had pressure in his face all night because Dallas don't have an offensive line. Oh, and they lost Connor McGovern. They're starting left guard. Tyler Smith looked not ready. Not ready for primetime. Dallas probably can't wait till Jason Pierce comes in there. And Jason Pierce is going to be serviceable. But that's all you're getting. Zach Martin was probably the only good offensive lineman. I, I, you know what? I, I like, I'll give Terrence Steele some credit here. I don't know where that franchise would be on the offensive line about Terrence Steele. He holds the fort, the right tackle. But still, that offensive line, that's not the 2004 Dallas Cowboys offensive line walking in there. And that's the problem with Jerry Jones. He lives in the past, just like that franchise. Oh, we got Dak Prescott. We're good. But now you don't have him. So now what? Now what? You got a, a running back who makes, was it year four now of his six-year $90 million contract? And he's slow as molasses. He ain't the same player he was four years ago. You take Tony Pollard out of the game with six carries for eight yards, and he'll go back to him. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention Mike McCarthy is a terrible, terrible head football coach and somehow has a Super Bowl because he had Aaron Rodgers. Mike McCarthy is so out of his loop. He's so out of the element. Dallas is going to be in games because of their defense. Their defense is really good. And they shut down Tampa Bay's offense for the most part. But that offense is going to be bad. It's going to be bad. They need a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. They do. Bottom line, they need a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. But what do you give up? If I'm San Francisco, I'm starting with the first. I'm starting with it. Because you know Dallas needs him. Dallas needs a quarterback. And guess what? This ain't an NFC thing. This ain't a rival thing. You don't trade assets to help another team out who refuse to ignore them. You don't. You just don't do it. The 49ers have a comfortable situation back at quarterback right now with Jimmy Garoppolo. Do you really want to go with Brock Purdy? Once Ray Lance gets hurt, then what? Someone said to me yesterday on Twitter, the Eagles should think about Trey Gardner Minshew. And I said, why? Do you know who the Eagles' third-string quarterback is off the top of your head? I know you guys do, but I don't think you as common Eagles fan, they don't know. They don't know. Some of them might say Reese Sinet. Some of them might say Carson Straw. They're not even on the team anymore. So, yeah, you don't do that. That's an asset. Why would you give the Dallas Cowboys an asset? I'm sorry. They're done. It's, it's week one. Is it a reaction? No. Because you know the situation. It ain't getting any better. The Eagles are good. The Commanders look pretty good. Dallas got a tough schedule coming up. They got the hungry Cincinnati Bengals who, all intents and purposes, blew that game Sunday. They blew it. 
All they had to do was kick an extra point to win the game. They couldn't do it. That game is bonkers, by the way. Absolutely bonkers, Steelers-Bengals. I got the rewatch of yesterday. Bonkers. Anybody could have won that game. But the Bengals are going to come in hungry. You got the Rams in Week 5. You got the Eagles in Week 6. I'm not even sure they can beat the Giants in Week 3. It's crazy, I know, isn't it? Who would have thought that a week ago? The, the, the Giants would give the Cowboys fits. Or reaction or not, Giants are pretty good in that second half Sunday. And I think that's because that's why I'm going to have an actual head football coach. All right. <laughs> I know you guys want to talk about. We got to get to the Eagles here. I got to talk some Eagles. I got the rewatch game yesterday. Why the hell wasn't Jordan Davis in that game? And I've said conditioning. I think that's the whole team. But your four-fifth string defensive tackle should not be getting more snaps than Jordan Davis. Why trade up and draft him in the first round if you're going to do that? Why doesn't Jonathan Gannon send more pressure? Or send blitzes, I should say. Because they, they send pressure to an extent. I think their defensive tackles, the way that defense is set up, they're set up to go up the gap, full speed, try to clog the hole. The problem is the Detroit Lions being with old school football and just say, you know what, you take your pressure up the middle, you try to go after the quarterback, and we're just going to run. We're going to do it the old school way, and you're going to have to make the tackle. That's why the Lions got as many rushing yards as it did. They got 180 rushing yards. By the way, Lions do have a good offensive line. I can't understate that enough. They do. But some decisions John Vigannon made on Sunday, I'm just like, what are you doing? What, why isn't this guy, maybe it's time to shake it up a little bit. I don't think the linebackers play bad, but maybe give Nicobe Dean a little bit more than three snaps. I know he's on the second team, but three snaps for Nicobe Dean? Nah, I'm sorry, I'm not buying that. You get a Sean Reddick to go after the quarterback, not line up in coverage. Which he did that quite a bit Sunday. I don't like it. I don't. Derek Barnett's out for the year. Torn ACL. Now Teron Jackson gets the play. Are you going to rush him? This team needs to go after the quarterback. I know the Lions got beat on a lot of Aaron Glenn's blitzes because the Eagles had Jalen Hurts, who was a really good running quarterback, and who was a good football player in general. He is a good football player. That's why they got beat. But I loved what Aaron Glenn was doing. Pocket quarterback in there. Lions defense might have had 10 sacks Sunday. So why can't John McGann do that? He's got better personnel than what the Lions got. Charles Harris is all over the backfield on Sunday. Why can't the Eagles do that with Brandon Graham and Sam Reddick and Josh Sweat? By the way, did you guys know Josh Sweat was fourth in the NFL in pressure rate on, in week one? It's kind of insane because I don't even remember him playing. That's not a knock on Josh Sweat, but when I watched him, I'm like, wow, he got, got to the quarterback a lot. That's what happens when you rewatch the game. You get to see some fun stuff. Uh, the key stat, though, was the missed tackles. The Eagles had 16 missed tackles Sunday. 16. That is second most in the National Football League in week one. Only the Carolina Panthers were higher. They had 18. And yeah, they had a lot of missed tackles. They, they could not stop Nick Chubb. They could not stop Kareem Hunt. <laughs> and Cleveland ran for a lot of yards, just like the Lions did. 
The difference was the Eagles made the turnover. So, I don't know. I'm a little upset with John Fagannon. Um, I, I get why everybody's going at his head Sunday. I, I, I understand it. Like I said yesterday, I don't want to hear any Jalen Hurts slander on any shows on from fans, but have at it, John Fagannon. Have at it. Um, it was not a good debut on uh, Sunday for John Fagannon. It was not a good debut with that defense. Bottom line. Unacceptable. Okay, guys. I got Matt Lombardo coming up. Um, he's going to be in the green room shortly. We're going to come back right after the break. We're going to have Matt Lombardo. We're going to talk some NFL right after this. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. Philadelphia fans were cut from a different cloth. Born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life. We believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible. While we may be from different neighborhoods, come Sunday, we are one and we will be heard. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. It's the number one news at 10 p.m. Action news on PHL 17. Join Shari Williams, Gray Hall, Deuces Rogers, and meteorologist Adam Joseph for all the big stories at a time that's right for you. Action news at 10 p.m. on PHL 17. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Welcome to Pond Lee Hockey. We've helped over 100,000 injured and disabled workers obtain benefits, as well as some of the biggest settlements in the state. If you've been injured at work, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go back. And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Guys, well, Matt Lamar is playing a little late here, and it is 7:20 in the morning. So, in the meantime, 
I got Tony DeShields with me. Uh, well, I had Tony DeShields with me. I don't know what happened to him, but um, it, it, I'll tell you what, guys. The first the first week of the year, it is nuts. And I'm listening to some of you guys comment on here. I, I agree with a lot of you guys, Tony. I, I don't know how you feel about this, but the Eagles survived week one, and I feel like that's the most important thing. Yeah, most definitely. Um, it was really, it was, it was, it was, it was underwhelming in terms of the de- in terms of the defense for sure. Um, I expected a lot more from Jonathan Gannon, and when you go up on a team like the Lions, you have to put them away. You can't allow a team like that that fights like that to stay in the game, man. You know, the game could have been sealed if Darius Slay catches that interception, but. I don't want to just put the entire blame on a botch interception. The bottom line is they forced an incompletion. But the defense has to play better. Defensive line has to be more effective. And on top of that, we also have our good friend, Matt Lombardo, on the show. So I'm going to bring him on, and I'm going to drop off for you, Jeff. All right, Matt Lombardo in the house. What's up, buddy? Jeff, great to be here. Thanks for having me. What a Sunday that was. I mean, not just across the NFC East, but across the entire NFL you know, upset, standout performances. Just a really fun way to kick off the 2022 season. Yeah, how about the game last night? That I still don't know what Nathaniel Hackett was thinking. Yeah, to leave that kind of time on the clock, 20 seconds, and you'd rather attempt a 64-yard field goal when your kicker's last eight attempts of 60 yards or more were missed, and you pay $242 million for Russell Wilson on fourth and five, Go for it. You, you know, be aggressive here. You know, the NFL is won and lost by the, the coaches that, you know, gamble in the big spots that aren't afraid to go for it. And I, I thought that Nathaniel Hackett did his team a real disservice in that spot. I was upset, too, at the postgame news conference. I, I don't know if you got to see him on the NFL Network, but Hackett was just talking really, really fast, out of breath. And I, I've learned over the years, especially from coaches, when they talk really fast, they just want to get the heck out of there and <laughs> <laughs> they just feel like they're smarter than you. Like there are some coaches like Nick Sirianni talk fast, but they make sense. Mike McDaniel talk fast, makes sense. Hackett, no. Yeah, no, I hear you. And it was also his head coaching debut. And I think that that might have factored into some of it. You don't know if he's ever been in that spot before where he's been, uh, you know, in front of a podium in the immediacy after a game. So I don't read too much into those sort of things. But all of the decisions, the clock management that put them in that spot to not have any timeouts, you know, moving the ball down the field, to put them in that spot, not to go for it on fourth down. And, and, you know, let's not forget there's a team on the other side that played really, really well last night. I was really impressed, not only by Geno Smith, and I thought the way that he manipulated the pocket, extended multiple plays that, you know, kind of threw his receivers open. Uh, the, the tight end to Colby Parkinson, the touchdown to tight end Colby Parkinson, you know, he extended that play with his legs, bought him that extra half second to split wide open, get beyond the defense and made a heck of a throw. Um, and then that defense in Seattle just flying to the football all night long. They forced the turnover down along the goal line. So as much as we can question Nathaniel Hackett's decisions down the stretch, I think the Seahawks and especially the defense of Geno Smith deserve a lot of credit for how that game played out. You know, contrary to popular opinion, Pete Carroll is a good coach. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't last this long in the NFL and appear in multiple Super Bowls without being uh, one of the brightest coaches in the league. No doubt about that. So I got to bring up the Dallas Cowboys here. This is what I was talking about before you got on. I just don't know what they do at quarterback. Like, I, I guess Jimmy G is an option, but and the 49ers will entertain it, but are you hearing anything about what maybe Dallas could do? 
Yeah, you know, there's a couple names out there, and I think the one that could be really fascinating is if you could bring in someone like Cam Newton. I think it would make a lot of sense. I think they need that veteran presence. And, you know, depending on what happens in Baltimore with everything going on with Lamar Jackson, I know that his self-imposed deadline of a contract extension of the Friday before the regular season came to pass without him getting a guaranteed deal. I kind of wonder if Huntley makes a lot of sense for the Dallas Cowboys because here's a guy, if the Ravens would part with him, I'm not sure that they would, who's been in big spots, very nearly beat the Green Bay Packers last year in Baltimore, played really well. And I think that he's kind of been that insurance policy against a significant Lamar Jackson injury or against being able to agree to terms on a long-term contract. I think he would make some sense there. And if the Packers are truly committed to moving forward with Aaron Rodgers for at least two to three more years. And if the Dallas Cowboys are truly concerned about staying afloat this season, which I think they have much bigger issues than quarterback, Jeff, you know, I would make an offer on Jordan Love. I, I would at least make a phone call to the Green Bay Packers on Jordan Love, who's a young player, a backup. And not only could he come in and kind of stem the tide while Dak Prescott is out, but he could be that situation where if Dak Prescott falters in the next couple of years, He's kind of in that same spot as he is in Green Bay behind Aaron Rodgers. He could be that next man up. And Jerry Jones does decide to roll with Cooper Rush again. What does that tell you about the state of his football team? You know, I think it's it tells you that they're committed to Dak and they're not going to rock the boat with Dak Prescott. And listen, Jeff, I think that, you know, talking to people inside the league, there's a really strong belief, and I think we talked about this last time, that the Eagles are now the team to beat in the NFC East, especially after everything that went on this offseason in Dallas trading away Amari Cooper, letting Cedric Wilson walk out the door, Lyle Collins walks out the door. That offensive line is in a state of shambles right now. That wide receiving core is depending on uh, some young players who haven't been in big spots before and C.D. Lamb making a significant leap in his second year. That's a really tall order, especially behind an offensive line that's kind of a shell of itself of what it was over the last three to five years when it was a tough, tough offensive line. So I, I don't know that the Cowboys deciding not to go and get a quarterback to bridge the gap between now and when Dak Prescott is healthy says too much about the state of the franchise, because I think that Jerry Jones has to know after watching what happened against Tom Brady and against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday night with or without Dak Prescott, there are fundamental flaws with this football team. And I don't know how you turn it around this year with the pieces they currently have. I have declared after week one, I, it may be an overreaction. It may not. I think they're done. Just look at the schedule. Just looking at how bad they were um, Monday, uh, Sunday. What say you? Are, are the Dallas Cowboys done? I think it's a real chance. I think there's a real chance that they underestimated how hard it would be to make up for the talent that they let walk out of that building over the offseason. And they didn't really do much to replace them either. I mean, you look at the NFL draft and you look at the fact that six wide receivers were taking in the first 20 picks. You look at multiple second round draft picks who are coming in and making immediate impacts over the course of training camp and with high expectations going into the season. You trade away Amari Cooper and then you don't draft a receiver until round three in a historically deep draft class. To me, that was a miscalculation. To me, letting that offensive line deteriorate and kind of resting on your laurels of what they had in place, where you leave yourself paper thin to the point that a Tyron Smith injury just debilitates your offensive line. And it runs counter to what Howie Roseman has been able to do at a really high level in Philadelphia. And that is, regardless of who the starting offensive line is, 
They've invested first and second round picks over the last four or five years along the offensive line, making sure that that two deep is stacked with players that not only are quality depth players, but could be high end starters in the NFL when called upon. And I think they're starting to pay, you know, see the fruits of that labor and starting to see the dividends of those investments in the line over the last couple of years. Eagles gave up 35 points to what I thought was a good Lions offense. And John Fagan's head was pretty much on a silver platter Monday. Just, and that's, to me, that's not an overreaction. I just don't think he had a good game this week. Yeah, you know, I think that down the stretch in the fourth quarter, I thought that they really were, really were getting dominated along the line of scrimmage. DeAndre, DeAndre Swift really started to pick up steam in that fourth quarter. They kind of let the Lions hang around, hang in that football game. And, and to me, I, I thought that a lot of what you saw early in terms of the pass rush, getting to Jared Goff, forcing him into some bad decisions, getting a couple of sacks, I thought that went away in the fourth quarter. And I think that if they learned anything from that game, and they have a big test coming up on Monday night, against the Minnesota Vikings and Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook. I think if they learned anything, it has to be that you can't take your foot off the gas pedal late. And I know that missed tackles were an issue early too, and you saw that on the first touchdown run. But I thought they did some nice things early in the game. It just didn't translate into late in the fourth quarter. What was the one thing you did like that defense did? I thought that, you know, the secondary played really well. I thought Darius Slay had a nice game. And, of course, James Bradbury with that interception taken to the house, an interception return for a touchdown in his first game in an Eagles uniform. I think that was kind of a signal that it's going to be tough to throw on this team, by and large, because of all of the talent they have on the back end. So I think the the coverage on the perimeter, I thought they did really well. Kobe Dean played just three snaps Sunday. And, you know, we knew he was on the second team. I didn't think he was going to play much, but – Three snaps, maybe he's the answer for their missed tackle problem? Yeah, I think they also need to get more snaps for Jordan Davis. I thought that the Lions had a lot of success running the football when Jordan Davis wasn't on the field to the point where I think the yards per carry average something like doubled when Jordan Davis was on the bench. And I think that, you know, they have to know what they have in Jordan Davis in terms of being an interior pass rusher, a space eater, a run stuffer, all of those things. I think they need to find a way – to get him more snaps. I don't know if that comes down to personnel. I don't know if that comes down to conditioning on his part, whatever the case may be. You see the difference that he makes as a rookie immediately. I think they, they need to get him on the field as much as possible to continue making that kind of an impact. My week two column, or week one column, I should say, it's not an overreaction no column, but one thing we learned about each team. And I, I said this with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I'm leaning to the Eagles on this, but I said worrying about – Tom Brady in that passing game is unwarranted stress. And I feel like the same with Devonta Smith. Do you really care he didn't catch a pass on Sunday? I don't, only because I think that when you saw the first quarter of that game and you saw Jalen Hurts open up 0 for 5 passing and they committed to the running game, and then they started to really funnel the ball through A.J. Brown. And A.J. Brown was wide open on the other side. That's when things really started to click for Jalen Hurts. And I think that when you have a young quarterback, if it's early in the season, I think you need to do what works to get them, get him into a rhythm. And I thought they did that by focusing on A.J. Brown. And look, there are going to be weeks where you have A.J. Brown matched up against the top cornerback. It's going to happen this week with Patrick Peterson, you know, still playing at a really high level. There are going to be weeks where A.J. Brown isn't the kind of factor that he was on Sunday. And that's going to create opportunities for Devonta Smith. But I think the combination of figuring out what worked for Jalen Hurts in that particular game and A.J. Brown just looking like an elite number one game-changing wide receiver, 
you feed the hot hand. And I think that that's kind of what into went into Devonta Smith getting lost in the shuffle a little bit there. And I think that there's a real good chance against the Vikings. You might see Minnesota kind of sell out to take away A.J. Brown, and that's going to create opportunities and create space for Devonta Smith. And if the Vikings do that, I don't think we're talking about Devonta Smith not having a catch in week two. Among the 32 starting quarterbacks in week one, where would you rank Jalen Hurts' performance? You know, that that's really tough. I mean, I, I think it's got to be somewhere in that, you know, 15 to 18 range. I, I think he won the game. And I think that, you know, what kind of goes unnoticed is how good he is in the red zone in his career. A lot of it is the rushing touchdowns. He has 16, 17 rushing touchdowns now after the the game on Sunday. 29 red zone touchdowns that he's a part of in his career. I think he's better in the red zone than some people give him credit for. I think the Eagles red zone offense did what it needed to do, scoring on three of five trips. Uh, They won the football game. He kind of did what he needed to do. But I think there's still a lot of room for growth for him as a passer, you know, from from 20 to 20. And I think that that's going to be one of the things that he, one of the boxes he needs to check for the Eagles to commit to him long term. What do you need to see from him? Yeah, I think it goes back to the conversation we had preseason, Jeff. It's one of those things where I don't know that I'm going to get lost in the shuffle of evaluating play-to-play, week-to-week when it comes to Jalen Hurts. But if you look up at year's end and the Eagles are an 11- or 12-win football team, with now that you see what's happening in Dallas, I think that's a real possibility. You know, you get them twice. You know, the schedule isn't exactly murderer's row for Philadelphia. But if they win 11 or 12 games, they win the division, he has 35-plus touchdowns, under 15 interceptions, if you have that kind of a year, I'd be pretty reluctant to let him walk out the building or to move on and invest those two second round, two first round picks into drafting his replacement. I'd rather build around that type of a quarterback. My stat of the week was the Giants had two 60-yard plays in the third quarter alone, Matt. Did you know they only had one 60-yard play all of last year? What impact has Brian Dable made on this football team already? Uh, Jeff, if you told me they had one 60-yard play since 2018, I would have believed you. I mean, that, that's just a team that hasn't been well coached, you know, for the last, you know, three, four seasons up there. I think that what Brian Dable did, he got his team to really buy into the aggressive mindset. You saw that with the two-point conversion, you know, going for it there. I like some of the concepts in the running game. And I think that, you know, we talked about this before the season started, that, Uh, they were going to make a concerted effort to get Saquon Barkley involved in space. And you saw that, you know, in some of the zone blocking schemes up front that worked really well, opening up some big running lanes. You saw that on some of the the swing passes to Saquon Barkley out of the backfield. Everything they talked about doing, putting him in a position to be a player in space, they did a lot of that against Tennessee. And credit to Saquon Barkley. Here's a guy who's spent the entire offseason telling anybody who would listen that he was on a mission to silence his critics and that, you know, write him off at your own peril. He goes out and he has two 50-yard runs for the first time since 2018 in that game against Tennessee. So uh, I think that what Brian Dable did is he got his team to buy in. And I think they found a way to involve some of their biggest playmakers, even if it's pretty puzzling that Kadarius Toney was on the field for only seven snaps. Why was Kadarius Toney not playing that much? Every time he came in, I thought he made a play. Yeah, I think it just comes down to, Jeff, you know, he's been pretty banged up through training camp. I don't think that he was on the field in practice as much as maybe the coaching staff would have liked to have seen him involved in the offense. And I think that just getting that familiarity uh, in game speed, maybe that's something that has to do with him not being on the field against the Titans. But I think that this goes back to kind of the conversation um, that we had in Philadelphia with Jordan Davis. 
you need to get your playmakers on the field. You need to get the guys who can make a difference and make an impact on the game, in the game as much as possible. And I thought that if there was one misstep by Brian Dable and the staff, it was not involving Kadarius Toney enough in the opener. So after watching the game, I, I thought Daniel Jones was okay. But then I realized he had 115 pass rating. It probably was the quietest good game I've seen of any quarterback in week one. That's kind of Daniel Jones's MO, right? I mean, you know, when he has good games, he just kind of, you say, okay, that, that, that's, he's capable of that. But he doesn't really set the world on fire while he's doing it. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a really gutty performance, but, but the, a couple of the interceptions late were really bad decisions. And Brian Dable, kind of, it was pretty obvious how Brian Dable felt on the sideline um, in that all, that interaction they had on the bench after the, the pick in the fourth quarter. But to his credit, led them back, you know, showed a lot of guts, a lot of heart, especially on that scramble for a first down to keep the Giants drive going that eventually uh, was the go-ahead score. Um, so I think Daniel Jones turning that game around, especially late, you know, is something that Giants fans can be excited about. With a healthy Saquon Barkley, and let's just say the Giants are getting the 2018 version all year, what is their outlook? Are they still just a 6-7 win team, or can we expect maybe a little more out of them? I mean, if they play the way they did on Sunday and, and that defense plays the way that it does, you know, they could be a – a nine-win team. If you have a guy who, if you have a running back who's going to be rushing for fifteen hundred yards and twenty touchdowns, obviously you're going to be uh, in the mix to control the game uh, for much of the season. But, but I still think you know I, there's just not a lot of depth at wide receiver in, in New York. I think that the defense still is a couple of pieces away from being really dominant. Um, you, you didn't see Kayvon Thibodeau on Sunday, so I think that he, getting him on the field and getting him healthy is going to be a nice boost for that defense. But uh, the schedule breaks really nicely for them, too. They have three really winnable games coming up, two of them at MetLife Stadium. Uh, you know, they could be a team that you look up at the end of September and they're 3-1, and one, and you're thinking, all right, may, maybe they can be an 8-9 win football team. Speaking of the other team that plays at MetLife Stadium, I was a little upset with Robert Sala yesterday. Say, I forget the exact quote, Matt. Uh, maybe, He's going to keep receipts on the teams that criticize the fans that criticize the Jets, right? That that yeah, that was yeah, the, yeah, uh, that's the one. That was the one. And I'm just thinking to myself. I think he said something too about like we weren't outplayed or something like that. Or I'm like, yeah, you were. It it feels like right now the Jets are kind of delusional about what they actually are. Yeah, and, you know, this goes back to, again, what we talked about the last time I was on the show. I think that you need to kind of reevaluate, recalibrate your expectations when you lose Zach Wilson for the first month of the season and you're playing the AFC North, right? You're a young football team. You have some nice pieces. You have some speed at wide receiver. I think that defense is up and coming. Joe Flacco just kind of is what he is at this point of his career. I don't think that you can ask him to put a team on its back and go win a football game or win multiple games for you. Um, I, I think that kind of the hubris and 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 the, the the attitude coming from Robert Saleh and the Jets after that game might be a little bit misplaced but but I'm going to kind of withhold judgment on the Jets and what they are until I see Dwayne Brown back on the field until I see Zach Wilson especially back on the field and seeing what that offense can be with its franchise quarterback behind center yeah it, that's a shame with the Jets my I'm Matt sorry uh you know just they don't have a guy back then like you said they don't have Dwayne Brown they their offensive line's in shambles right now. They had to move stuff around. But overall, outside of Joe Flacco throwing 59 times, I kind of liked a little bit what I saw out of their receiving game. And 
I, I know Brees Hall had a bad fumble, but out of the running backs, I, I didn't think it was a bad offensive performance outside of the points for it. No, and Michael Carter ran really hard, too. I thought, you know, especially in the first quarter, he had two runs of 12 yards or more and really explosive runs at that. They can have a really nice backfield duo. They have some really fun pieces at wide receiver. Uh, you brought up Elijah Moore and his speed. They obviously have uh, Wilson as well. So, you know, there's some pieces there on offense where you can, you know, get the quarterback back healthy. Maybe Dwayne Brown comes back and plays at a reasonably high level. Uh, the, the Jets can be a tough out. They can be a tough team to beat. But again, it comes down to getting consistently high-level quarterback play. And, and you just can't expect that out of a guy like Joe Flacco at this stage of his career behind that line. So the Commanders game, to me, I thought that was one of the more entertaining games of the week just because you got the roller coaster ride. That was Carson Wentz, and you had Jacksonville. It looked like they were going to pull off the upset a little bit, but then turnovers eventually reared their ugly head. Uh, what was your initial thoughts on that game? Yeah, my initial thoughts there were, Jeff, I think we've all been pretty critical of Carson Wentz, and for good reason. I think he's given you know the media, fans, and analysts a lot of ammunition over the last couple of years, especially after what happened in Indianapolis and how that season ended. You know, credit where it's due. I thought Carson Wentz had a really gutty performance on that final drive, bouncing back from the incredible play by Trayvon Walker and the interception that really made you think late that, okay, here we go again with Carson Wentz. Uh, the commanders are going to blow another game, blow another lead. The Jaguars are going to beat them. The Jaguars have his number. And he goes down and, and leads a game-winning drive, hits Jahan Dotson for his second touchdown of the game, the game winner, and gets the job done. Uh, I, I think that my big takeaway was that that was kind of a monkey off the back game for Carson Wentz, especially after how his season ended a year ago against the same Jaguars, especially the adversity he had to overcome in the middle of the game. I'll be fascinated to see if that translates in weeks two, three, and four for Carson Wentz if he turns a corner here. And I think the other thing is, Jahan Dotson made an immediate impact. You and I talked about it before the season began. Um, I'm still kind of surprised by the lack of fanfare that Dotson received going into the draft because I thought he had one of the best catch radiuses in this class. He obviously has really good hands, can get behind the defense and all of those things. He showed as a rookie, the only rookie in the NFL to catch a touchdown, let alone two touchdowns, um, th that he could be a focal point of that offense. And I think his skill set really lends him to be one of Carson Wentz's, if not Carson Wentz's, number one target. It seemed like, too, those two, and maybe it was from training camp, but those two are in sync. Like Carson threw some really good passes to him, and Dotson just knew where the ball was going to be both times. Oh, for sure. And, and especially on the two touchdowns and the second one into a really tight window with the defender kind of draped all over his back in the corner there. Uh, I, I thought that was a really, really nice play by Jahan Dotson. And I think it was a great read and a, an even better throw by Carson Wentz. Um, I, I think the Jaguars are going to be a lot better. And I think that they're a team that's going to build as you go along and they kind of realize, you know, how to deploy their personnel. I think James Robinson should be the Jaguars' number one running back. I think you saw that with Travis Etienne and the drops in the passing game. Might have dropped two touchdowns. Uh, but but I think the, the big picture there is that was a pretty good football team that they were able to come back against and beat. And I think that's the type of win the, the commanders can build on if Carson Wentz can find some sort of consistency and stability over the last the next several weeks, kind of I've build some rhythm. Yeah. I've been hyping up Washington's receivers all offseason. And I said, if Curtis Samuel is back and if Jahan Dotson could do both my ifs came true. Like, Curtis Samuel is back. Jahan Dotson is what we thought he was going to be. Oh, and Terry McLaurin had a really nice touchdown on Sunday, too. Can they win the NFC East with this receiving court? 
And, and Antonio Gibson, a guy who can catch the ball to the backfield as well and is pretty versatile too. Yeah, I think that we all went into this season kind of looking at the Eagles and Cowboys as the two-team race in the division. They had the pieces, and, and especially they did this on Sunday without Chase Young. You know, you put Chase Young back into that equation at defensive end. That's a really talented front seven with a lot of former first-round picks. Yeah, it, it all comes down to, as it has all along, Carson Wentz turning a corner, especially in clutch moments. He did it Sunday. Can he do it for the rest of the year? Did you, I don't know if you got to hear any of the post-game stuff. It felt like Doug Pearson really didn't want to talk about Carson that much. And Carson really just avoided the whole Doug Pearson question entirely, gave his typical Carson Wentz answer. And I'm kind of like, you know, I, I know these two get along, but it feels like there's still some bad blood there between them and on how it ends. Yeah, and I think, you know, in a lot of ways – on, on both sides there. I, I don't know how committed Doug Peterson was to Carson Wentz, you know, towards the end there in Philadelphia. And I think that there was always some resentment about the whole situation with the Eagles from Carson Wentz from the moment that Nick Foles, you know, won the Lombardi Trophy in that Super Bowl in Minnesota. Um, I think that that relationship, just as much of the Eagles locker room, was kind of fractured by the Carson Wentz situation towards the end. So, no, it doesn't surprise me that neither Doug Peterson or Carson Wentz would want to, you know, take a trip down that particular memory lane. Yeah, it's a shame, too, because I thought the Eagles really had something there with those two, and obviously then Nick Foles happened and you get the statue and everything else. Like, I, I get it from Carson's perspective. It's I, I honestly think 2018 was the year where everything just kind of fell apart because he did it again, and, Maybe Doug had some reservations there, but it was just a really weird exchange between both of them. And I knew Carson was going to give the answer he gave. Fine, you know, but Doug was kind of surprising. Like, you know, they they talk at, they were talking at midfield for a while, but still it's – he just didn't give anything. Like, oh, we're – you know, I'm focused on the Jacksonville Jaguars now. And I'm like, you don't have anything good to say about a guy who it played a big role in getting you a Super Bowl, probably giving you a second job in the league. It just seemed really awkward. Yeah, I think the counter-argument to that, Jeff, is that it's right after the game. It's right after a game that his team had a fourth-quarter lead and they lost. I mean, that question is probably better served, you know, from the reporter being asked on a Wednesday or Thursday going into the game rather than after the game. So I kind of get it from that perspective. And I also think that in a lot of ways, if Carson Wentz doesn't get banged up in 2018 and have the back injury – uh, if Carson Wentz doesn't have the concussion and not play really well before it against the Seahawks in the playoff game and the Eagles, you know, make it to another NFC championship game or further, or if Carson Wentz takes the kind of steps the Eagles anticipated him taking when they took him number two overall and, you know, the steps he was making before the injury in 2017, we might still be talking about Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson being in Philadelphia and maybe the way that it ended for Doug you know, there might be some blame from Doug Peterson on Carson Wentz and, and, and kind of regressing and failing to live up to the hype and expectations that that might be a, a source of any sort of acrimony between the two for, from Doug's side of things. What was the team that was better than you thought in week one and the team that was worse than you thought in week one? Oh, the Steelers are the, the better team by far. I mean, I you know, I didn't expect Mitchell Trubisky to go into Cincinnati and be able to do that. Uh, I certainly didn't expect the defense to, you know, post six sacks on Joe Burrow. I didn't expect him to intercept him five times. And and listen, um, you know, the Steelers played that typical Pittsburgh Steeler brand of football. Your quarterback manages the game. 
your defense flies to the football. You have the pick six from Minka Fitzpatrick. He also blocks the field goal. Uh, you know, they run the football well with Najee Harris. That's a brand of football that travels. And, and it's why Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. It's why they're always in the mix. They were the team that I thought really surpassed expectations and the team that played worse than I expected. I think it's the New England Patriots. And, you know, they, they never play well in Miami. Miami, I love the gamesmanship of, of them donning the, uh, the white jerseys at home when they typically wear their, their light green to force New England into wearing the navy blue on a 98-degree day. Uh, but I didn't think Mac Jones played all that well. I thought that defense got torched um, you know, by Tua, especially you know, in the second half. So I think the team that played worse for me, it was either the Green Bay Packers, which we kind of expected them to stumble with that receiving core, but I think the way that um, it, it went for the Patriots on the road, I think that was that was the one for me that didn't really live up to expectations. My final thought on week one, I think if Christian Watson doesn't drop that touchdown pass, I think that game completely changes. I think Aaron Rodgers had every right to mention that because that was a great play. The, the great play call by Matt LaFleur, the first play, it's – he was so wide open. I think you and I could have caught that pass. <laughs> yeah, and, and what, the universe is sometimes pretty cruel and ironic because, you know, I have three TVs set up. I have Red Zone on one, the two games on the other. Within seconds of each other, Jeff, of that drop pass in Minnesota by Christian Watson, Devontae Adams catches a pass in traffic from Derek Carr in Los Angeles and takes it 25 yards. Within seconds of that happening. And, and you're just watching this unfold, and it was kind of the juxtaposition of, you know, the Packers thought that they would be able to move past Devontae Adams and spread that cap room around. You know, he Aaron Rodgers has other weapons, and he's a Hall of Fame quarterback and all of these things. Devontae Adams is still a number one wide receiver in this league. If you put him in that offense – the Packers might be the runaway favorite in the NFC. And now I'm not so sure that they are going to be even the prohibitive favorite in the NFC North, because I think the Vikings have all the pieces in place to surprise some people and make a run in that division and maybe further than that. You led right into my last question, Matt. This is why I love having you walk. Name the top five teams in the NFC after week one. Top five teams in the NFC after week one. I think you have to put Minnesota in that mix. Um, You know, Tampa Bay handling its business. I know that Tom Brady wasn't exactly prolific, but going on the road in a tough environment, shutting down the Cowboys offense and what they are. I think you put Tampa Bay in that conversation. I still think the Eagles belong in that conversation as well. I know that the game was a little bit closer than a lot of people might have expected, but it's tough to win on the road in the NFL. They went on the road and did that. Uh, and, And then the other two in the NFC, it comes down to, you know, put them, put them all in a hat. I mean, you could you can look at Washington and what they did in the comeback. Maybe they're in that conversation. Uh, and in the NFC West, boy, you know, that, that division, other than San Francisco, who I think might might not be quite what people expected them to be. I'm not sure that Trey Lance is going to be what people expected them to be this season either. That division feels pretty wide open, especially after Arizona fell flat as well. So uh, I'll give you three. I think the three best teams are Minnesota, Philadelphia, and Tampa Bay. Beyond that, nobody really rose above for me in the NFC. Sounds great, Matt. Once again, I'm going to have to have you on. Uh, I love this conversation. Great insight as usual. Matt Labarro, everybody. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yep, sounds great. All right, guys. I got to give my Joey McDowell tribute. We're going to put a bone show right after this. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. 
Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. Philadelphia fans were cut from a different cloth. Born into a brotherhood and bonded to our team for life. We believe anything is possible because we've witnessed the impossible. While we may be from different neighborhoods, come Sunday, we are one and we will be heard. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. It's the number one news at 10 p.m. Action news on PHL 17. Join Shari Williams, Gray Hall, Deuces Rogers, and meteorologist Adam Joseph for all the big stories at a time that's right for you. Action news at 10 p.m. on PHL 17. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Welcome to Pond Lee Hockey. We've helped over 100,000 injured and disabled workers obtain benefits, as well as some of the biggest settlements in the state. If you've been injured at work, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go first! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Guys, we're going to wrap up the show here. Great segment with Matt Navarro. I disagree with him, though, on the Jalen Hurts stuff. Uh, he was not 15 to 18 on the week one quarterbacks. Uh, Jalen Hurts had top five, top ten performance of all the quarterbacks in week one. Again, there were only three quarterbacks in all of week one that had 300 yards of total offense. And I discovered this after the show yesterday. There were only three quarterbacks in week one that had over 300 yards of total offense with no turnovers. You want to guess who they are? Patrick Mahomes was one. Jalen Hurts, two. Russell Wilson, three. Mahomes and Hurts, one. Jalen Hurts is the reason the Eagles won that football game on Sunday. Jalen Hurts, I thought, played a perfect game. Not not perfect game. I'm sorry. That, that's the wrong word. I thought he played a very good game. He was not perfect. I shouldn't say. Patrick Mahomes is perfect. But Hurts is very good on Sunday. I thought if the Eagles had a pocket quarterback, they would have lost. Jalen Hurts 
freed up A.J. Brown because of his ability to run with the football, and the Detroit Lions had the competency. In fact, I'll give you a quote because I got to get some insight from the Lions postgame on Sunday. Tracy Walker. Jalen Hurts put the ball where it needed to be all day long. I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what he said. Uh, I have the actual quote on Twitter, but Tracy Walker is very complimental of Jalen Hurts. Dan Campbell was very complimental of Jalen Hurts. It's It wasn't just them either. Um, I, Taylor Decker was another one, uh, their left tackle. He commented about what the Eagles did offensively. And he, again, he's watching it from the sidelines. So, but there was a lot of compliments going around the Detroit Lions locker room on Jalen Hurts and what Jalen Hurts was able to do. And not too many people were surprised by how well Jalen Hurts played on Sunday, myself included. But, yeah, look, do I want him running 12, 13 times a game? No, but he, he had to. And that's part of his game. Jalen Hurts had the fifth fastest run in the NFL on Sunday, by the way. That 16-yard running after the first down, he ran like 20.5 miles per hour. And is he a weapon? He is a weapon to have. And, look, there's going to be a time where he's going to have to be like Lamar Jackson Sunday against the Jets and beat you with his arm, like Lamar did. I don't care if it was the Jets or not. Lamar Jackson doesn't make the throws he made four years ago. He doesn't. And there's going to be a time where Jalen Hurts is going to have to beat you with his arm. But he's still a young quarterback. He's barely 24. There's time. We don't have to write him off. We, enough. You don't need hot takes over every little thing, and you don't need to complain about every little thing in the universe. You don't. Patience is a virtue, people. He's a good quarterback. Deal with it. I don't care if he's not your quarterback. He wins games. I don't know what you want. I don't know what some people want. Jalen Hurts was a top five quarterback Sunday. He was. He was a top five quarterback in week one. He did enough for the Eagles to win. If they don't have Jalen Hurts, they don't win that football game. Bottom line. I'm tired of people saying, well, the Eagles win games despite Jalen Hurts. No, they don't. They don't. I, I heard the haters on Twitter yesterday. It is what it is. We'll talk more about this later this week. We'll start getting into week two. Great show, guys. I wanted to... Before I wrap it up here, had our highest viewership of Good Morning MC East for the 10th. Now, this is the 11th show we had. I'd like to thank you guys, all the comments, all the positive uh, reinforcement I've been getting on the show. I know you guys are liking the show. I'm glad you are. Keep in that like button. Keep it up in the comment section. I see you. I hear you. I, I agree with most of you. <laughs> Once again, my name is Jeff Kerr, First 365 with Joey McDonald and John McMullen's coming up next. Have a good day.